<clears throat> Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Just want to say welcome to all of you. Glad you decided to join us. If you're a guest with us, a uh, special welcome to you. Uh, we're continuing this, uh, this morning in our, our series on selfishness and pride. Uh, it's a series that is very difficult to work through uh, because it hits home for a lot of us and it scratches open some places where we would rather not expose. Uh, and this morning we're going to talk about control. And earlier you met Pastor Adam, if you don't know him, uh, he is normally the one up here, but uh, because he is a man that wants to show you all that he is not a controlling person, he let me preach this message on control, and uh, all of that he did was write the message for me and then just ask me to come present it to you. So, no, I'm joking, uh, he did not do that. Uh, I love Pastor Adam very dearly, it's a privilege to work with him, and we have a lot of fun uh, together and so I'm grateful for him. What I do want to say as I start out this morning is I, am, I want you to hear this. I am in no way an expert on this issue of humility uh, or pride, however you want to put it. Uh, I, if you meet a person that says, I am humble, I'm a humble person, uh, you have met a person that is not humble and is actually proud. Uh, I don't think that there's any one of us on this earth that can actually say uh, we are truly humble. Uh, I think Jesus was the only person that was truly humble. And because I am a follower of Jesus, I'm in pursuit of him. Uh, I want to walk after him and I want to follow in his footsteps. I would say that I am a person uh, this morning that is in pursuit of humility. And I hope that that's where you find yourself this morning as just being a person that's simply saying, I know there's pride in there and I'm in pursuit of humility. Um, So if you wouldn't mind... um, because of the weight of this topic and because of my inadequacy to, to speak about it, I just want to just pause for a second and ask God to help us this morning uh, through this. So if you wouldn't mind, let's, let's just pray. Uh, Father, I need your help uh, this morning. As I just said, I am not uh, in any way confessing to be a humble person. Uh, God, I know that there is pride. Uh, even as I prepared this week, uh, there were things that you worked out in my heart. Uh, exposed in me. And I know there's much more there, God. I just pray that you would help me. I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Uh, I just want to surrender that to you. God, for every person here, I know that each person walks in with in a different place in the journey. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to them this morning as only you can and minister to their heart, draw them close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, where we're going to be this morning is in the book of First Peter. So if you brought your Bibles, open them up uh, to First Peter. Uh, maybe you have a smartphone with you. You can uh, jump on that Uversion app and get there to First Peter. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, uh, Peter is in the, the back end of the Bible. If you turn to the back, you find Revelation. And you go through a couple small books, uh, Jude and First, Second, Third John, and you'll find Peter. And we're in First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at just a couple verses here, verses 5 through 7. I hear a few pages turning yet, I'll wait. <clears throat> so we'll start in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. If you are in the sanctuary this morning, if you're in the auditorium this morning, and you are not a young man, you're like, yes, he is not talking to me this morning. Unfortunately, it goes on. All of you... That's everyone, okay? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares 
for you. He cares for you. If you are here this morning and you do not believe that God is trustworthy, if you do not believe that God is good, that he is trustworthy and that he cares for you, then everything that I am about to say is basically meaningless. So here is where we need to start in a place where we understand that what God says here is that he cares for us. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you walked in and you're saying, because of this in my life, blank, whatever the blank, you can fill it in. I struggle to trust God. I struggle to look at that and say, yes, that's true, that he cares for me. And, and maybe it is, maybe it's, uh, you know, somebody's abused me in my life. Somebody's neglected me in my life. Maybe it's my spouse is a liar. Maybe it's uh, my children are out of control and they're a mess. And because of that, I struggle to trust God. Whatever the blank is, you fill it in. And what you need to hear this morning and internalize and know for sure is this, that God cares for you. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you walked in and you said, I don't even believe in God. Let alone say that I can trust him or know that he cares for me. And what you need to hear this morning is the same message that God cares for you. And I know this because if he didn't care for you, he would not have sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sin. He would not have extended an invitation to you that says, take, take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching who I am upon you. All right. He wouldn't have said that. He wouldn't have said that I will take all your burden, all your anxiety. If you just cast it on me, he wouldn't have said that if he didn't care for you. So that's where we need to start is to know that God cares for us. So Peter gives us this thing. He says in verse seven, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, anxiety, we use that word some, but many, most of us would probably relate a little better to worry. And so I want to start out with this question. Uh, how many of you would admit that you worry? You don't have to raise your hand, but that's okay. One person's bold enough to raise their hand. But what I want you to do is, if you are a person that you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, yeah, I worry. I want you to write uh, on your bulletin or somewhere on your bulletin, maybe a piece of paper there. Maybe you have a smartphone, you don't have a piece of paper. Write it in the notes section there of your smartphone. But just write, I worry. Because that's a good place to start is to be able to admit it and say, you know what? Yeah, I worry about things. And I'm going to guess a majority of us do. But now what the next question that comes is, what do you worry about? What do you worry about? Now, there's a lot of places we could go here. And so I'm going to try to help us out and just give a couple. I can't give them all. But a couple of the things that maybe you worry about. Maybe your concern this morning as you sit here is, there's that bill sitting at home. And you know that in the checking account, there isn't enough money to pay for that bill. And so you worry about how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to pay the mortgage this month? How am I going to pay that credit card down this month? And maybe finance, finances are a consistent worry for you. Maybe the worry is your job. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and saying, I don't even know how, how secure my job is. I'm not sure that two or three weeks from now I'm going to have work. 
Or possibly you are a business owner sitting here this morning. You own a business. You have employees that you're responsible for. And you're saying, I don't know how much work I'm going to have for my employees. And you worry about it. Or it could be this. Maybe it's death. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You're saying, I am afraid about what's going to happen at the end of my life. I'm afraid to die. Or maybe it's not so much you. Maybe it's your loved ones. Maybe there's someone in your family that is, or or close to you, that is nearing death. And you're worried about what's going to happen when they pass away. Or maybe you're someone that's responsible for a family and you wonder what will happen to my family if I would die. Maybe it's illness. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, you know, I have this chronic illness and I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you found a, a bump or a lump somewhere and you're concerned, what if it's cancer? Maybe it's in your children. Maybe that your children are struggling with an illness and you're worried, what's going to be the result for them? Or, or maybe your children are getting older and they're starting to go out of the house and you're concerned and you're saying, you know, did I do a good enough job raising them? Did I do a good enough job? Did I set them up well for success? And you worry about it. So now the next question becomes, well, why do you worry about those things? If you've been willing to admit that you worry and you're willing to admit there's stuff you worry about, the next logical question is, well, why do you worry about it? My guess is because we worry about things because we fear the outcome. The things that are outside of our control, we fear the outcome and therefore we worry. To the best of my knowledge, excuse me, I'm struggling with a cold this morning, so I'm going to battle through But to the best of my knowledge, the death rate in the United States is roughly 100%. Somewhere in that neighborhood, 100%. I don't know of anybody that has avoided death to this point. So every single one of us to some some extent has to deal with that. And that's why I think death is such a big worry for us because we can't control that outcome. No matter how far modern medicine advances, we still haven't figured out how to stop that. Death. And so every one of us sitting here this morning knows that it is a reality that we are going to face death at some point. And maybe you're a young person and it's not on your mind and you're thinking, well, I'm indestructible. It's not going to happen. But deep down inside, you know, it's going to happen at some point. Maybe it's money. Maybe this morning you feel really secure with where you're at financially. And you have a secure job. But the reality is that the security of your job is is only as secure as our economy. And not many of us this morning are sitting here thinking, yeah, our economy is really secure. Or maybe your job is only as secure as your health. And if your health goes, you won't be able to do your job anymore. It's possible. We fear the outcome. It's out of our control. And so we worry. Maybe the worry is your children, your adult children. When your children reach 16, 17, 18 years old, what happens? They get a lot more freedom, don't they? They get in that car and they pull out of your driveway and you no longer can control what they do. 
You don't control who they hang out with. You don't control where they go. That's a scary thing because it's outside of your control. We worry about what is out of our control. Now, my kids are young. I can control them most of the time. Most of the time I can control them, but I know the day is coming that they will leave and I won't be able to control what they do anymore. That's scary. Well, Jesus had a couple things to say about worry. Jesus had a lot actually to say about worry. And when Jesus speaks, I tend to listen. A guy that has made such an impact on human history. A guy that I believe is the son of God. A guy that uh, rose from the dead. I tend to go with him. And so Jesus has a lot to say about worry. So I want to know what he has to say. And I think most of us would tend to want to know what a guy that rose from the dead has to say about a topic. So Jesus has some things to say. Luke chapter 12. Now, I would just mention this. If you are a person that struggles with worry and anxiety, Luke chapter 12 is a chapter for you. I would encourage you to study it. We don't have the time to go through it in depth and in detail here this morning. But take a look at it because Jesus has a lot to say in there about worry. Uh, So I would challenge you to look at it throughout this week. So here it is, Luke chapter 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, here it is, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, not the Baltimore ravens, but the birds. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Have you ever considered that question? What does worry add to my life? Nothing. And Jesus challenges us here, and he says, you can't even add a single hour to your life. He says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon was a king. If you're not familiar with who Solomon is, Solomon was one of the wealthiest kings in ancient Israel. And we find a story in the Old Testament. Um, He was one of the wealthiest kings. And even with all of his money, Jesus says he wasn't dressed like one of the flowers in the field. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about that. For the pagan world, the world that does not believe in God, chases after those things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, I think that we have a great struggle with this passage. We in our Western culture in the United States, we have a great struggle with this passage. And here's what it is. When you woke up this morning, I'm going to guess that you weren't worried about whether or not you would be able to eat breakfast this morning. You weren't concerned about it. Now, we worry about food like when we're counting calories. Like we're worried about, ah, does that donut have too many calories? Should I eat that or shouldn't I? That's what we worry about. But the crowd, the audience that Jesus was speaking to, and the reality is that most of our world today still worries about when they wake up, am I going to have a meal to eat today? And if I do, where's it going to come from? 
But see, it's hard for us in our United States Western culture to understand that because we don't worry about the food where it's going to come from. We worry about, uh, should I get the chef salad or maybe the cheesesteak today? Uh, Is it all right if I drink a Pepsi with lunch? Well, I had one uh, earlier. Maybe I shouldn't. That's what we worry about. Or how about clothes? When you got up this morning, you weren't worried about, "Ah, will I have something that I can even put on? Can I even look presentable? But what most likely happened is you walk through, you walk up to your dresser or your closet and you start going through clothes and you start thinking, "Ah, can I, is it okay if I put blue with black? Is that all right? Um, Well, it's after Labor Day. So can I wear white today? Is that all right? We think about the fashion faux pas in our culture, but we don't think about, do I have a shirt to put on this morning? But the audience that Jesus was speaking to, they were worried about, where am I going to, am I going to have clothes today? So there's this great disconnect for us when we read this passage and we kind of just excuse it because, well, we don't worry about those things. I don't worry about that, Jesus. Yeah, because I have a closet full of clothes. I have a cupboard full of food. That's why I don't worry about it. So I would challenge you this morning. What would Jesus look at you and say, stop worrying about that? Maybe it's your 401k, your retirement plan, and you're looking at it and you're saying, boy, it's not quite as big as I had hoped it would be. My guess is Jesus would look at you and say, stop worrying about that. I know that when you retire, you need food or clothes or money. I know that. Do you trust me to take care of you? Or maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the instability of your job and you continue to worry about it. Oh, is this, am I going to have a job tomorrow or the next week or the next week or is my company going to keep continuing to to do well enough to keep my employees going and jesus might look at you and say stop worrying about that i know what you need because here's the command here's the command do not worry about your life and see this one's a tough one because it's kind of like all right jesus I, i i get this like I'm doing pretty good with the, you know, the top 10, the 10 commandments. You know, I'm not, I don't struggle with stealing. I'm not doing that. Uh, murder is a good one. I, I'm, I'm not struggling with that at all. So that's a good one. But now you tack this one on, do not worry about your life. That's a tough one. We need to step back and say, how are we doing about that or with that? And maybe you would ask the question this morning, all right, Jesus, why is that so important Because worry kind of seems to be natural to us. It kind of comes naturally. So how is it that I'm not supposed to worry about those things? Well, I want to share a story with you. I'll try to illustrate it the best I can. And I think that there is a lot that we can learn from the life of a child if we are just willing to pay attention. And this past week... Uh, I had the opportunity to go with my family. We went up to the Poconos uh, on Monday to go snow tubing. I would never try to take my entire family like snowboarding or skiing because I don't know how to do those things well enough. I might take one or two of my boys, but the whole family would be kind of crazy. So we decided as a family, we can do the snow tubing thing. And we decided we'll take as many of the kids as we can. Uh, My wife and I, we have five children. Uh, the youngest is three months. And so we decided, well, Josiah's probably a little young for snow tubing. So we'll leave him, at, we'll leave him with uh, her sister and we'll, we'll go as a family. Now, the next closest 
to Josiah is Olivia, and she will be three next week. And so we thought, ah, is this risky? Should we take her? Shouldn't we take her? We decided, yeah, we'll take her. She loves to, she loves to go sledding at home. She enjoys that. Snow tubing on a big mountain shouldn't be any problem. So the first sign that this adventure was going to be really bad was when we got to how you get to the top of the mountain when you go snow tubing. There are two escalators that take you up the mountain. And as I looked at this, there's no handrails. There's no, you know, it just seems to be very unsafe to me. And I'm thinking, this might be a problem. So I went up ahead. I was with our boys and Aaron was coming behind us and I'm riding up uh, and I'm maybe like a quarter of the way up the hill and all of a sudden the escalator stops. So I turn around and sure enough, my wife and uh, Olivia are there at the bottom. They're having trouble getting her on the escalator. So they had to shut the whole system down. Okay. How's this going to go? So we get to the top of the mountain and we're standing there. And there's six hills that are six lines that you, you can get in. And we begin to get in the line. And as we begin to get in the line, Olivia begins to cry. She's scared. So Aaron and I, as great parents, you know, we think, all right, what are we going to do? We know that she's going to be okay. And we begin looking for maybe there's other ways down the mountain. Because once we realize that she's not going to go down the mountain in a tube, we've got to think, how are we going to get her down the mountain? Well, there's no reverse escalator. They don't have that. There's no, like, I'm going to hop on the escalator and just go down the mountain. Uh, there's no steps. There's actually no other way to get down the mountain other than to take a tube. Because the workers there that went down the mountain, they actually walked down in between the escalators. And I knew that that wasn't going to be an option uh, for me and Olivia so we had, uh, Aaron and I, in a, a moment of uh, parental genius, we had to collaborate and think, all right, how are we going to make this happen? And so I go up to the attendant and I say, okay, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to get in the, now we had a double tube. I didn't explain that to you, but we had a double tube. So it was two tubes that were connected together. And so I said, I'm going to sit in the front tube and my wife is going to put our daughter in the rear tube. And when she does that, I just want you to push, all right? Just kick the tube and we'll go down. And I know you're judging me right now, but when, when we tried to put her in the tube the first time, it was like trying to put a cat into a bathtub. Hands were kicking, you know, she's kicking and flailing. So, okay. So I get up, I kind of run up, jump in the tube. Aaron comes up, kind of shoves Olivia into the back tube and off we go. And she screams the entire way down the mountain. There was no consoling her. And I'm talking to her the whole way down. It's okay. You're going to be all right. You can trust me. Don't worry. She had none of it. She screamed for a long time, actually, until Aaron finally followed up behind us. She was still screaming. But what I learned in that moment was that my two-year-old daughter knows enough, has enough experience in life to say, okay, big mountain, big tube equals fast speeds. Speeds that I can't control. I can't control that. And therefore, I'm scared. And she wasn't old enough to articulate, to say to us, this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that I am going to die going down the mountain. But she was old enough to know that this was scary. 
Now think about this in your own life. Plug this into your own situation. You're going through things that are out of your control. You're going through things that are out of your control. And what happens? Like Olivia, you fear it. We fear what we cannot control. We fear what we cannot control. And the simple fact, the simple fact that I am fearful says that I don't trust God. I want you to think about that. The simple fact that I am fearful of certain scenarios in my life, what does it imply? It implies that I don't trust God. You're saying, I can't, you can't get me through this, God. I can't trust you with this. Because that's what Olivia, she looked into my eyes, that's what she was doing. She was saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you have my best interest in mind, and I don't want to be on this mountain. And I wonder how many times do I look like that to God? Where I'm saying, God, I don't trust you in this. You can't get me through this. So I'm going to kick and I'm going to scream and I'm going to shout because I'm afraid that you can't help me through this. Now, I do want to note something here because I, I think that this is so important that we understand this. There are times when we get fearful and we don't trust God, but there are also times when the plan that God has us on, the road that God has us traveling, that journey that we're on, we may not like that plan, all right? It doesn't mean that we don't trust God. It doesn't mean that we don't love God. It doesn't mean that we don't know that he cares for us, but we might not like it. And here's, I learned that a, a couple weeks ago. I went out to, uh, to have a cup of coffee with a young man, and he was telling me the story about his father, and he lost his father at a young age. Now, I still have my, my dad. My dad's still with me. We have a good relationship, and... So this is something that I've never gone through. I've never had to experience this. So I had a lot of questions for him, and I was asking him, you know, when your dad, who was a a great man from what I understand and and cared for his family very well, I said, when your dad passed away, I said, how did you you process that? What do you do with that? How did you feel? Did you get angry at God? And he said, no, I, I wasn't. You know, at first I was. At first I was angry with God. But he said, God has taken me through the years, and he's brought me to a place where It's not that I'm angry with him. It's not that I don't trust him. It's not that I don't think that he loves me. I just don't like the plan that he has for me. He said, I wouldn't have chosen this for my life. And you know, as a pastor, you think, all right, I gotta, I gotta have a good comeback for that. I gotta know what I want to say to that. I, and I was struggling to think, okay, is that all right? Is it okay for me not to like God's plan? And as I processed that, I thought about Jesus in the garden. And and Pastor Adam referred to this last week, and and I must refer to it again because I think it's so important. But Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, those of you who know the story. And it was the night before he was about to go to the cross, where he was about to carry the weight of sin for all mankind. And so he, he was burdened by this. And he was so burdened that the the scripture says that he actually sweat. Uh, blood. His sweat was like blood. He was so burdened. And what he says is so important because I don't think that he necessarily liked the plan that God had chosen. Because what he says is, if there's any other way, Father, 
If you can take this cup from me, please do it. Please take this cup. But not my will, but yours. I'm not sure Jesus was a big fan of the plan that God had chosen. But he trusted God and said, God, I know you know what's best for me. I know that your plan always works out for good. Even though what I'm about to face, I don't want to face it. Several weeks ago, I was pushed face to face with this as a dad. And I just shared a story about Olivia. I'll share a story about Josiah. As I mentioned, he's only three months old. And as a parent, when you have an infant, one of the the scariest things as a parent is to look at your infant child and see them get sick. Because especially this year, I don't know if you've paid attention to the news, but flu season has been terrible. And, And there are many deaths. I hear it on the radio all the time. You know, influenza isn't the common cold. And so many deaths happen every year because of influenza. And so I knew that that was going around. And around that time, Josiah starts to, to get ill. And it starts with just like the, the stuffy nose and a little trouble breathing and a cough that won't go away. And then he begins to spike a fever. And as a dad, you want to fix it. You want to make it better. You want to control it, right? But you can't. There's nothing I can do to help him in that situation. I I can give him medicine. We can take him to a doctor, which we did. But not every parent that has taken their child to the doctor has come home with their child or has come home with a good report. And I know that. Science isn't 100%. They can't fix everything. And so there's fear and anxiety that's beginning to well up in my heart because I know that if he has influenza, where does your mind start to go? You start thinking, well, it could get worse. What if it gets worse? What are we going to do? What if God chooses to take him? So I was faced with this, this thing that, you know, God, I, don't, I might not like this plan. Your plan may be to only allow Josiah to live two months. And though I might not understand that, that's your plan. Now, thankfully, I praise God that wasn't his plan and Josiah's fine this morning. But that could have turned out differently. And for some of you sitting here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, That turned out differently in my life. I'm not sure that I like God's plan. But I want you to remember what we started out with. God cares for you. God cares for you. He is trustworthy. Because see, that situation with Josiah, I couldn't control it. And there's probably situations in your life where you can't control the outcome. And there's a lot of fear that's coming up in your heart. Control is truly an illusion. We don't control nearly as much as we think we do. We actually control far less. There's a guy that wrote a book called With. I'm going to try to get his name right. I don't know if I will, but forgive me if I don't. His name is Sky Jathani. I think that's how you say his name. And he says this, Control is an illusion. No amount of control will ever be enough to ensure our safety. And no amount of control will ever remove our fears. The reality is that there is so little that I am in control of. I want you to think of, think of what just happened in Newtown, Connecticut. 
just a couple months ago. Or think about Hurricane Sandy and that tragedy that happened there. When those tragedies happen, it rocks us to the core as a society. And the reason is because for just a short amount of time, we remember that we're not in control of nearly as much as we think we are. See, the reality is for any one of us in this room this morning, we are just a phone call away from our world being drastically flipped upside down. The the life that we worked so hard to build, one phone call could change it all. That's how little control we have. When I put my kids on the bus to go to school in the morning, I've lost control. I won't control the people they talk to. I won't control the people that talk to them. I'm trusting that God is watching them. Or how about this? When you jump in your car in the morning to go to work, you control one car. And you control it as much as the mechanical system in that car allows you to control it. But the many cars that you pass that morning... You're trusting that the people that are driving those cars are going to do what they're supposed to do. You're trusting that they won't run the stop sign, that they won't go through the red light, that they won't get that text message and decide to answer it at the moment they're passing you. We're not in control of nearly as much as we think we are. And I could go on with this, but I, I really don't need to because you're very smart people and you know this. You might not think about it this way all the time, But you know it. But here's the problem. The fear and anxiety about things that I cannot control is actually, it's a form of pride. Let me say that again. My fear and anxiety about the things that I cannot control is actually a form of pride. Because what I'm saying, what I'm saying when I allow fear and anxiety to build up in my heart and worry, I'm saying... God, I don't trust you in this. I don't believe that you care for me. I don't believe that you know what's best for me. And because of that, I'm not going to hand it over to you. I'm not going to hand that bitterness over to you. I'm not going to allow you to have that. I'm not going to hand over these worries, these anxieties. I'm not going to let you hold them. Because I don't trust you with it. It's pride. Some of us, we do this. We save up as much money as we possibly can. We say, God, I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm not going to give any of it back to you. I'm not going to give a dime to anyone. I'm going to save up as much as I can because I want to be able to take care of myself and my family as we get older. It's pride. It's pride. Jesus actually, in, in Luke chapter 12, he has words about a guy that did that. A guy that built up in barns and and he built bigger barns to store all the grain that he had. And God had blessed him abundantly with a lot of grain. So much so that the barns didn't hold it. So he built bigger barns and he said, I'm just going to continue to build bigger and bigger barns so that I can store all this grain. I'm not going to give any of it away and I'm going to store it for myself so that I'll be able to sit back, enjoy life and not have to work anymore. Jesus' words for that man was, you fool. Tonight, your very life will be taken from you. And what will happen to all that money, all that grain that you've stored up for yourself? Who will get it then? 
It's pride. Or how about this one? And I know I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but that's okay. I'm going to eat vegetables and I'm going to drink bottled water and I'm going to work out three times a week because I'm afraid of what my life, what, what aging does to me. I, I don't want to die. I want to slow that process down. So I'm going to do everything that I can to slow that process down. It's pride. It's pride. Now, I'm not against, I'm not against eating healthy, all right? I think it's a good idea. I'm not at all telling you this morning, go out and get McDonald's, KFC, don't worry about it, just eat whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. But what we do is when we think that we can control, I'm going to control that aging process as much as possible. So I'm just going to eat vegetables and drink bottled water and work out because I want to slow that process down. It's pride. How about this one? This one's going to get me in even more trouble. I'm afraid that someone will walk into this building and shoot me, start shooting. I'm afraid that someone's going to break into my house and attack me or my children. So I'm going to buy a gun so I can protect myself. I'm going to carry a gun with me so I can protect myself. It's pride. Now, some of you are sitting here, you're thinking, oh, he didn't go there, did he? He didn't go there. I'm not against the Second Amendment, okay? Actually, I'll tell you a story. About a month ago, two months maybe, shortly after, just a day or two after the Newtown, Connecticut tragedy, uh, I went to see a movie with some friends. And one of my friends has his concealed weapons permit. He brought his weapon along. I felt very comfortable and very safe sitting in that theater next to him. I was glad that he had it. But here's the thing. It was not his presence, nor the presence of his firearm, that brought me out of that theater safely. But God's grace. Do I think that we should ban guns? No, I'm not saying that. But what happens is we begin to think that we can take all the control into our own hands. And I am sure that there are those that have carried concealed weapons that have been shot in spite of their concealed weapon. They don't control their destiny. It's simply a tool. Jesus says this in... You guessed it, Luke chapter 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's amazing to me how many people in our culture are so afraid. They're so afraid of what's going to happen to them physically. They're so afraid that somebody's going to come and take their life whether through some sort of tragic shooting or maybe it's just your life in general of your health deteriorating, all right? This morning I woke up, I'm 32 years old. I feel much different than I did when I was 22. And I'm sure when, I will, when I'm 42, I will feel much different. And when I'm 52, I will feel much different. My body is wasting away. 
And yet we do all we can to protect our bodies and do all we can to control it. And what Jesus says is don't fear. Don't fear the one that can come and kill your physical body, but fear God. Because God is the one that controls your eternity. Surrender to him. So maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're thinking, great, Chris, this is real helpful. I am a worrier by nature. I have anxiety. I worry about things. What do I do? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, why is this so important? Why are we talking about control and worry and all that stuff? Well, here's why I think it's important. And I think there's some answers in first Peter. Turn back to first Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, where we were when we started. Look at the second part there of verse 5. Here's why this is so important. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I am a person that does not want to live in opposition to God. I don't want to live in opposition to God. I don't want to live with my fist shaking towards God or my back turned towards him. And he says, he's opposed to the proud. So I want to be a humble person. And it says that he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Now I want to remind you, I'm just a a fellow journeyman with you here on this journey. But I think that some of the answers are right here before us. Look at verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. If you struggle with worry, anxiety, control, the answer is right there. Humble yourself before God. Repent. Repent. Ask God to forgive you for the things that you have been trying to control, for the worry that you've allowed to grow in your heart, Say, God, I know that you are in control of all things. I know that you love me. I know that you care about me. Forgive me for the things that I have been carrying, the things that I am not turning over to you. Forgive me. Repent. I have never gone to counseling, um, though maybe sometimes I think that I should. But... Uh, I've taken some counseling classes. And if you ever take a counseling class, when you sit in that counseling class, you feel like the professor is counseling you because you start to go through all the things that they're describing, the case studies, the people that you could work with. You feel like they're counseling you because the things they're describing are inside of you. And so I've gone through that. Uh, I do have a guy that I look at as kind of like a counselor from afar. I've met him one time. Uh, I read a lot of his stuff, and his name is Ed Welsh. He's from a place called CCEF. And he writes on this issue of anxiety. Actually, he's a kind of an expert on it, I think, because he has struggled with anxiety his whole life. He talks about it. He says, my, my biggest struggle in life is anxiety and worry. And so he's another person that when he talks about this, I tend to listen. So I want to read something to you uh, that he wrote about this issue. And he actually talks about this passage uh, that we just looked at. And I will put the whole article up on, online on Facebook this week if you're interested uh, to look at it. But here's what he has to say. He said, I had an anxiety assault recently and I was for, 
facing perhaps the worst fear that I could imagine. And there was nothing I could do about it. What a mercy that I was confronted with a call to be humbled before the Lord. And it resulted in this simple prayer. Lord, you are God and King. I am your servant. I, owe you, or I know you owe me nothing. And for some reason, you have given me everything in Jesus. I trust you. And please give me grace to trust you more. A few minutes later, my prayer moved even closer to Scripture. Father, forgive me for always wanting things my way. By your mighty hand, you have created all things. And by your mighty hand, you have rescued your people. I want to live under your mighty hand. Please have mercy. It sounds very simple, and it is. But it changes everything. This is the secret to dealing with fears and anxiety. The words of God and the comfort of the Spirit become much more obvious when we are repentant and humble before Him. No deals with God. No, if you spare me from this suffering, then I will. Just simple trust. We trust Him because He is God. Not because He is going to immediately remove our anxieties or our fear-provoking situations. When we started out this morning, I asked you to write, if you were willing, that you are a worrier on your bulletin. I said, write, I worry. If you're willing, I want you to write, I surrender. Just write, I surrender. God, I give it to you. Whatever that worry is, whatever that anxiety is, I repent and I want to give it to you. There's a guy that gets a lot of publicity in the Bible. His name is David. And he was a king, if you're not familiar with the Bible. He was one of the the most powerful kings in all of Israel. And he dealt with some fear and anxiety too. But he writes this famous psalm, Psalm 23. And I think most of you know it. And he talks about his fear there. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil. And I wonder how is it that David can say that he will fear no evil despite all that he is facing in his life? And the answer comes in the next verse. He says, I know that you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God cares for us. He cares. And if you trust him enough, to humble yourself and surrender and say, God, I give you all this worry, all this anxiety. I don't want it anymore. You didn't create me to carry this. I want to give it to you. I trust that he will answer. Because I know this, as you're sitting here this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus, God did not place the spirit of fear inside of you. That fear is not from him. But he's given you a spirit of power. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm not a believer in Jesus. Then there probably is some fear in your heart and there's some fear of the unknown. The unknown of what's going to happen when I pass away. My invitation to you is the same as Jesus gives. He says, trust in me. Place, take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. So he gives us this invitation that we can cast all that anxiety, all that worry, all that junk. We can give it to him. And in turn, accept his grace. That's the invitation to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are God. 
and that you're in control of all things. God, I ask that you would forgive me for the times that I try to take that control back. God, forgive me for the worry that exists in my life. God, I trust that you know what is best for me, what is best for us. God, I pray for those that are hurting this morning, those that are struggling to trust. God, will you bring healing into their life? Will you help them to trust you? In Jesus' name, amen.